All right. Well, good morning once again, everyone. Uh, I want to invite you to uh, join me, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter. John chapter 18, we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 38 today, almost to the end of the chapter. Um, if you're new with us or, or joining us uh, online, we're thrilled uh, that you've uh, chosen to spend time with us. We are in the midst of uh, a verse-by-verse series through the Gospel of John, and we have now come to the part of John's Gospel in which the Lord is going through a series of trials, a series of trials. We saw last week he was brought first to Annas, verse 13, and then in verse 24, Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas. Um, John doesn't record trials two and three, rather he picks the story back up in verse 28, with Jesus being brought before Pilate, the Roman governor. So um, let's begin by reading this incredible text this morning, and then after we can carefully consider each of the verses, we are in John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28, and this is the reading of God's living word. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Um, the spectacle of Jesus being hustled around back and forth from place to place um, under the cover of darkness in the middle of the uh, middle of the night demonstrates just how far um, these Jewish authorities were prepared to take this. Um, And the irony, of course, in all of this is the fact that Jesus is being condemned for claiming to be exactly who he was. The day is Friday morning. The accused is the Lord 
Jesus Christ. The charge is blasphemy for claiming to be the Son of God. The prosecutors are the religious leaders of Israel. The judge is Pontius Pilate. The jury is a frenzied mob. And the sentence will be crucifixion upon a Roman cross. In our verses here this morning, the civil trials of Jesus now begin. And he's already faced three religious phases of trials, which we saw last week, first with Annas, then before Caiaphas, and one before the entire Sanhedrin council, where Caiaphas and the rest of the religious leaders were all present. And it says in Matthew 27 that they conferred together against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and delivered him over to Pilate. And that's where John's gospel now picks this scene back up. Um, just by way of introduction, if we were to take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, John puts a, a unique emphasis upon Jesus before the Roman governor, Pilate. The other Gospels will go into greater detail into Caiaphas's and uh, Herod's trial, but John focuses on Jesus before Pilate. So, Let's get into the text. I broke this, section, this up into three sections. The accusation, the interrogation, and the arbitration. Let's look at number one and the accusation. The accusation against the Lord Jesus begins in verse 28. With the setting, it says, then they led Jesus. And um, the they here refers to the Jewish authorities, to the Sanhedrin, uh, the 70 member council. And they led Jesus from Caiaphas. Caiaphas, remember, was the high priest of Israel that year. And so he oversaw the 70 member council of the Sanhedrin which was basically the governing body of Israel. You had the, uh, basically combining the House of Representatives, um, the Senate, uh, the Supreme Court, and the Oval Office all into one package. These were the power brokers of Israel. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium, and the Praetorium was Pilate's headquarters whenever he was in Jerusalem. It was like the governor's mansion, if you will. And the reason Pilate's there to begin with is because it is Passover. It is Passover. And during uh, the Passover season, we know hundreds of thousands of pilgrims are pouring into the city of Jerusalem in order to celebrate. And because of that, there was obviously a heightened potential for an insurrection. There was potential for a riot. And so Pilate, who is normally stationed out at Caesarea Philippi, out on the coast, would then make his way to Jerusalem in order to make his presence felt as you had all these worshipers gathering into Jerusalem. And as you know, the Passover was to celebrate the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. And so as they gather, Pilate is certainly aware that they might want to make a connection to their, their present situation and seek deliverance from Roman bondage. 
And so for that reason, Pilate has traveled from the coast to Jerusalem to, to keep things in order. And so we read, they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And I think John mentions here that it was early because he wants to know these guys were essentially fast-tracking this entire thing through. They are trying to push this thing right through. They wanted Pilate to quickly put his stamp of approval onto their decision to murder the Lord Jesus so then he could carry out the execution for them before the crowds were even aware of what was happening. So John adds that in there. It was early. And they themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. How blind can blind be? These religious leaders are concerned about being uh, ceremonially unclean for the Passover meal while they plan the first degree murder of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hypocrisy is extraordinary. Um, obviously, this was not a part of God's law, um, but the Pharisees had come to believe that you would become unclean simply by entering into a Gentile's home. What is in God's laws, whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. That's in Numbers 11, 1911. So one of the excuses then that the rabbis gave is if you went into a Gentile's home, you could possibly come in contact with a dead body that was buried under the home, therefore becoming defiled. There were many other reasons, but they were so happy to keep every letter of the law of their own invention, their additions to the law, while killing the one who came to fulfill it and who wrote it in the first place. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew 25, 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. And Jesus was right. He was right because here they were committing the crime of the ages and are the chief instruments to putting to death the second member of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. D. Carson adds this. He says the Jews take elaborate precautions to avoid ritual contamination in order to eat the Passover. At the very same time, they are busy manipulating the judicial system to secure the death of him who alone is the true Passover. And, and this is exactly what external religion looks like. It externalizes religion and it uh, bypasses the heart. And this is exactly where these Jewish leaders are. Well, this takes us to uh, verse 29 as the uh, civil phase of the trial begins. And it says, therefore, Pilate went out to them. Imagine the scene. You've got all these Jews out there on the colonnade because they can't get too close to where Pilate's house is or they will become defiled. Therefore, Pilate has to go out to them. And said, what accusation do you bring against this man? What is the charge? 
What is the charge? What, what, what crime has been committed that all of you must be at my home at 6 a.m. in the morning? What is the accusation? Verse 30, they answered and said to him, and, and this is really no answer at all. If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. In other words, he's obviously guilty or we wouldn't be bringing him here to begin with. They just expect Pilate to, to, to rubber stamp their indictment. And the last thing these Jewish leaders wanted was an actual trial with actual evidence. No, they just wanted Jesus dead. They wanted Pilate to be the executioner, not the jury, not the judge. Whatever the charges need to be, whatever we got to say, whatever it is that we got to do, we want him gone. Well, Luke's gospel, they eventually did come up with more substantial accusations than, than this one. It says in Luke 23, 2, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the king. And of course, like, any seasoned politician, they were just twisting and turning what Jesus really said. And Pilate sees through all this. He's dealt with these men before. So Pilate fires back at them in verse 31 and says to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. Pilate knows full well they want him dead. They just want Pilate to do it for them. So he says, you take them yourselves and you judge them. I'm not getting involved. But look at their response in verse 31. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. Now they're quoting Roman law. Now they're appealing to Roman law. A, a, a pilot, a, a sir, as you know, we are not permitted under Caesar to put anyone to death, you see. <laughs> Why don't they just take care of this themselves? Pilate said, take him and judge him yourself. Pilate's giving them the all right, go ahead. Do what you need to do. Why are they going to just keep forcing this issue and, and keep going through all of this? They will have no problem stoning to death in just 60 days from now. So why all this? Verse 32 tells us to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. There's a deeper significance at play here. If the Jews had gone off and stoned Jesus to death as they did to Stephen, Jesus isn't the son of God. The Bible is no longer true, and all of Christianity goes up in smoke. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ had predicted it. Not only that he would die, but he prophesied how he was to die. Just for example, if you go back into John chapter 12, verse 32 and 33, he said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was about to die. You see, if the Jews 
killed someone for blasphemy, they would throw them to the ground and they would stone them to death as they did to Stephen. And as they tried to stone Jesus to death as well in chapter 8 of John and chapter 10, they attempted to stone Jesus to death. They picked up stones trying to stone him to death, but it was not his hour. It was not his hour. But Jesus had predicted that he would die at the hand of the Gentiles. So not only did Jesus predict what kind of death that he would die, he also predicted who would do it. He said in Mark chapter 10, for example, verse 33, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. See, the Jewish leaders will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles, they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. And so John 18.32 becomes a very profound statement, does it not? And it demonstrates to us, even in all this frenzied chaos, God is sovereignly in total control. None of this is catching him off guard. The Lord Jesus is not surprised. He has ordained the end from the beginning and is orchestrating this entire scenario. And in just hours from now, the Lord's prediction would be fulfilled as he would be lifted up upon the Gentile Roman cross, a distinct Roman kind of execution. This brings us to section number two and the interrogation. The interrogation in verses 33 through 38, Pilate interrogates the Lord Jesus through a series of questions, assuming Jesus aspired to be a political leader of sorts. Begins in verse 33, where it says, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And this is what the Jewish leaders had come up with as an offense. They accused Jesus of misleading the nation, of forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and for saying that he himself is the Christ, the king. And of course, this was opposite of what Jesus said. When the Pharisees tried to entangle Jesus in the words whether it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not, Jesus simply said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So you see their, their aim was to portray Jesus as an uh, insurrectionist bent on overthrowing Roman rule and establishing his own. So Pilate was in effect asking Jesus whether, are you guilty or not guilty of charges of insurrection? Pilate wants to determine whether or not Jesus constitutes any kind of a political threat to Roman imperial power. So as Pilate is sizing Jesus up, he asks almost in ridicule in the Greek, are you, are you the king of the Jews? It's almost like this is absurd. You, this is ridiculous. You, you are the one that everyone's so worked up about. He didn't look like a king. And if he was a king, where was his army? Where were his followers? 
You're no threat to Rome. <laughs> you? This was ridicule. You? You, the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? In other words, is, is this your charge against me, Pilate? Or are you a talking head for those men outside the door? Is this your idea that I'm an insurrectionist? that I'm a threat to Rome, that I'm some kind of a revolutionary here, or are you just getting the idea from these guys out there? Verse 35, Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? And the implication of this is, is I am not one of them. Are you kidding me? I am not one of them. I am not doing their bidding. I am the Roman governor. I am Pontius Pilate. I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. I had nothing to do with this. And now here's the question that Pilate wants answered at the end of verse 30, at the end of verse 35. What have you done? What have you done to get all of these guys going absolutely crazy at my door here at 6 in the morning that all I've been hearing is about this Jesus guy? You? You're the one everyone's so worked up about? What have you done to create such an uproar? You see, Pilate understood that the, the Jewish leaders had handed Jesus over because of envy, jealousy, the scripture says. Matthew 27, verse 18 tells us, Pilate knew that. He knows they're just jealous and envious, and that's why they turn around. What he did not understand was what Jesus had done to provoke such vehement disdain from them, and what, if any, crime had he even committed? Well, in verse 36, Jesus answers concerning being... He says in verse 36... My kingdom is not of this world. Now, um, by saying this, Jesus introduces a positive element and, and a negative element. The positive is he affirms, I am a king. I have a kingdom. I am a king. I have a kingdom. I preside over my kingdom. So he affirms his kingship, his lordship, his supreme authority to rule and reign over his kingdom. Yes, I have a kingdom. The negative element is my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not like your kingdom, Pilate. <laughs> it, it's not of this world. It is nothing like your kingdom. It is unlike anything that you know of. Jesus is king not because someone made him king. Jesus is not king because someone has voted him in. He did not become king because of who he knew. He did not become king because of his family. Its source is not of a worldly system, nor did Jesus derive his authority from any human source. He is king by nature. The kingship of Jesus 
is in a realm all by itself. It is heavenly, it is eternal, it is supernatural. So he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, in, in an earthly sense, he says, then my servants would be fighting. So that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And what Jesus is saying is that my kingdom is spiritual, not physical. My kingdom is internal within the hearts of men and women, not external in the hands of men. To quote the Apostle Paul from Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 37. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world. You see that? There's two things there. For this I have been born, that is his humanity. And for this I have come into the world, that's his divinity. But why? Why did he come? to testify to the truth. To testify to the truth, Jesus is the truth, John 14, 6. And he says, everyone who is of the truth, which is really synonymous with being a, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, hears my voice. Not everyone hears the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, but... Is it an audible voice? Oh, no. It's much louder. It is a mere audible voice. Well, it is the irresistible call of God. The divine summons from the good shepherd who calls his sheep by name. And everyone who is of the truth hears his voice. John chapter 10, verse 3. Jesus said the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name verse 4 he said and the sheep follow him because they know his voice and verse 5 a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers if you are of the truth it is only because you have been given ears to hear the truth by the one who testifies to the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in verse 38, Pilate abruptly ends his interrogation of Christ with a cynical response. Verse 38, what is truth? Well, the truth was staring him in his face, but Pilate can't see it. He doesn't have ears to hear, nor eyes to see the truth. Or he would fall in at the knees of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is convinced that there is no such thing in the world as absolute truth. So Pilate responds cynically, what is truth? And we hear the same mocking today in the public square, do we not? What is truth? We live in a world today where people will believe truth is relative. You have your truth. I have my truth. It's all about whatever we feel is truth. The world says there's no such thing as truth, but Jesus says that's not true. You can know the truth. Because the truth is a person. Jesus said back in John 8, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is a person. This brings us, lastly, to number three and the arbitration. Having finished interrogating Jesus, Pilate pronounces his verdict. Verse 38b. And when Pilate had said this, he went out again to the Jews. He just has to keep going back and forth, back and forth, and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Not guilty. John chapter uh, 19, verse 4. We'll look into next week's verses for a moment. It says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. He just keeps saying, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Of course he's not guilty. He is the sinless, spotless lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world. He is the king of truth, who was betrayed, arrested, beaten, and soon after this, he will be crucified for the sins of his people. But 1 Peter 2.23 says, And while being reviled, he, Christ, did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What we see in history's most egregious miscarriage of justice is Christ's glorious perfection. I hope you can see that in the story. The perfect, blameless Son of God. As he stands in our place. As he takes our penalty and lets Barabbas the guilty prisoner, go free. It's the great exchange, the righteous which is Christ for the unrighteous which is you and I. Jesus said in verse 37, you say correctly that I am a king. And for this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth 
He said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So I ask you today, have you heard the shepherd's voice? Hebrews 1, 1 says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. My prayer is that you have heard him today. And let me just say this um, as we close. If you haven't heard his voice, or if you have any other need that is on your heart this morning, and you want to bring that before and to the Lord, to the foot of the cross, um, I want to invite you to come forward. We would be more than happy to sit and pray with you. If men and women who would like to, they would be blessed to pray with you. And so uh, whatever is on your heart today, know that that is available. Um, at this time, I want to invite you to please stand as we sing just one more song of praise. Our God is mighty to save. Amen.